Well, it's good to be back. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, a real blessing to be here. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for wonderful singing. It, uh, that's some of the best singing I've heard in a while. And uh, we just praise and thank you, Father, for that. Thank you for this privilege and opportunity to share your word. And um, we pray, Father, that you will guide and direct in all that's shared and said. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, to title this sharing this morning, I'd like to uh, just pull two uh, very short quotes from the book of Acts, and that's what we're doing this morning, is taking a journey through the book of Acts. Why stand ye gazing? Of course, uh, those were words from the angels, and uh, suggesting that this is not a gazing time, folks. This is an action time. And the, the second one, also four words, is get out of Jerusalem. The, the rules and regulations that we've been living under are relaxing, and we need to relax as well. It's only a few weeks ago that Lita and I, for doing what we're doing this morning, could be fined $2,000 each. Now, I don't know whether you carry $4,000 in your jeans or not. I don't. And uh, that would have been a crushing blow financially. And uh, it's, it's a, a, a privilege, once again, to be able to be here without being concerned about that. But that was the fine. And Lita actually talked to a policeman about this. And that was the fine that would have been leveled on us if we came across county lines. Well, we came across several county lines in order to be here this morning. My suggestion to you in the words of Holy Scripture is once again, it's time to get out of Jerusalem, i.e. Dartmouth, Halifax. The rules are relaxing. We need to emotionally and physically release ourselves as Christians and get over the lockdown mentality because that is not our mentality, a lockdown mentality. Now, it was necessary. I'm not getting into debate with brilliant doctors, but uh, we need to get over that gradually and as it is accepted. The manifestation of the filling of the Spirit in the believer's life, and that's, of course, the beginning of the book of Acts, is basically they're being told, lockdown. You're not prepared to go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will be, you're going to be empowered, but right now, you stay where you are. And in Galatians 5, and 23, we realize what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. You and I have the empowerment for the outreach. Now we need the specific directions. In Acts 1.8, not very far into the book, but ye shall receive power. Notice once again, this is the cru critical thing, <coughs> is that you be empowered by the Holy Spirit before you go forth with this message. After that, the Holy Spirit is come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Once again, Jerusalem would refer to Dartmouth, Halifax, and in all Judea, a little bit further, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is not a little bit of theology to be tucked away in your briefcase. This is an action command 
for all believers to be acted upon as the Spirit leads. This is the Great Commission for all born-again believers. And one of the blessings that we, we saw this morning in, in the assemblies, we, we focus on, on the cross and Mount Calvary. We focus on the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And over and over again, because can you lose that focus? Yes, you definitely can. You can have programs on top of programs and all kinds of things that have nothing to do with evangelism, have nothing to do with outreach. I was pleased to just hear that you're still going out on the streets. And uh, praise the Lord, that helps you stay focused on what the core is, and the core is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Senegal, West Africa, we used to say about our truly remote, outermost parts, you're not at the very end of the world there, but you can see it from there. <laughs> and uh, some of the people would say amen to that for sure. Acts 3.14. If you would turn there, please, 3.14. And can you hear him saying this and looking straight into their eyes while he was saying it with incredible boldness? And we're going to look at that word boldness again. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. And he goes on to say, and killed the prince of life. Now, Jesus isn't called the prince of life very often, but that's exactly what he is. You know, in this old human body, they claim, the scientific people claim, that there are millions of cells. Now, I've never counted them, but <laughs> I'll take their word for it. There are millions of cells whom God hath raised from the dead. Yes, you killed him. We admit that. You're guilty. You're responsible. You're culpable for the death of Jesus Christ, but God wiped out everything you did through the resurrection, which we heard mentioned in Breaking of Bread this morning. Whereof we are witnesses. Don't try to convince us that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. We talked to him. We fellowshiped with him. One of us touched him, and uh, we know all about it. We were there. And uh, so don't, don't, never mind your arguments. I don't care how many degrees you have or whatever. Wherever, uh, whereof we are our witnesses. And he makes it very, very clear indeed. Light always refu refutes and defeats the basic elements of darkness. And therefore, darkness reacts to that exposure aggressively. Let's assume that it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Now, I'm not sure where the switches are for all these lights. But three people are hiding behind chairs, and they're, they're hoping to surprise you and catch you off guard and do you some sort of harm. And all of a sudden, you switch on those lights, and they're completely exposed. They're not only exposed, they're identified, which a, a criminal never is very happy about. And that's exactly what light and darkness do. They don't cohabitate. They, they're, they're like gas and water. They don't mix. We do not have a man standing beside us who just leaped into the air. Now, I asked my, the other lady who lives at my house with me, her name is Google, and, uh, hey, Google, how many bones are in the, the human foot? And she told me, 26. And she went on to say, no, I didn't ask her for this second part, but she went on to say, in ligaments and tendons 
and muscles in the, in the human foot are over 100. Can you imagine, I, I was thinking about the doctors who, who deal with catastrophic injuries with feet. Boy, I'll tell you, they, they have, <laughs> they're detailed people and uh, obviously brilliant to be able to work with that. Once again, we don't have a man standing beside us who just leaped, and that word is used twice in that passage, leaped into the air. Now, it, it brought to mind some of these amazing athletes on the Olympics. I don't know if you watched the Olympics or not, but they jump into the air and they spin and they twist and they flip and, and do all this, and then boom, they land on the mat. And uh, it must take terrific strength. I believe the Canadian uh, lady specialist in that uh, injured her ankle uh, just shortly before that. But here's a man who was lame from his birth. Now, he's over 40 years of age now, and he's been lame. Can you imagine how all those muscles and all those tendons and ligaments would atrophy after 40 years? It wouldn't be pretty, to say the least. And then, with these men coming to him, he's able to leap into the air and land hard on the ground. Uh, it, it amazed and shocked many people who were watching on. We do have our own testimony when we're standing before people. And beside our own testimony, we have the incredible, inerrant word of God. And uh, that's a powerful truth indeed. In Acts 4, 1 through 3, if you turn there, please. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That's what the Sadducees, and I remember at Bible school we used to say, they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. <laughs> I guess they have a reason to be sad. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now even time. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. One of the things the Lord uses to protect his messengers and his people is revival. You know, it's hard to really dispute the fact when somebody boldly looks into your eyes and said, I am a brand new creature in Christ. I live in Christ and Christ lives within me. It's hard to say, oh, well, you must be deluded or you might, no. That kind of boldness and that kind of affirmation uh, is, is very, very strong and is a defense uh, in our message giving. We see how vital the Great Commission is to our Lord as we see all the amazing and creative ways the Lord rescues and releases his servants amid their challenges, testings, and journeys in the book of Acts. And that's, the book of Acts is a real action story. If you like action stories, this is one for sure. And uh, you see that the Lord is incredibly involved with the whole thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even as, as your first service in breaking of bread, God is blessed and encouraged that, that you're, you're, you're remembering and going back to the core, the very core of what, what worship centers are to be. And sadly enough, many have forgotten. 
Many have drifted away. They don't even believe in the blood. They don't even believe in talking about the blood anymore. And that, that is a tragedy. In Acts 4.21, if we could turn there, please. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go. Four little words. They let them go. Once again, the Lord has struck, and he's, he's releasing his messengers. They let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them. Because of the people, four more words, because of the people, the revival that's taking place, and the fervency with which young believers, young believers don't always know everything about the faith. They have a lot to learn, but boy, their enthusiasm is fantastic. We had a, a young couple uh, in our home for supper on Friday night, uh, and very, very young in the Lord. And it was a blessing to just be around these young folks who were so excited about the fact that, that they've been transformed through the blood of Christ. Because of the people, for all men glorified God for that which was done. I mentioned the Sadducees were very uneasy about all of that. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants, this is in verse 29, that with all boldness they may speak the word. Boldness is one of, one of the weapons that the Lord has given us in order to be truly going forth with the gospel. <clears throat> Once again, we have the backlash of darkness and the persistent going forth of the gospel. In Acts 9, and here we come to Saul, or as we know him, Paul. And certainly he was a threat to the faithful messengers that were going forth. And this, in this passage, he goes from darkness to light. And one of the interesting things in this very dramatic situation which we'll read here in just a moment. But the first words that are out of his mouth are the word Lord. That's amazing. When you think of who he was, this hardcore legalist Pharisee, and all of a sudden he's saying the word Lord. And in Acts 9, if you turn there, please, 1 through 6. And Saul, <laughs> how is this for a testimony? Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter not very pleasant, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, this way being the way of Christ, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I'll tell you, when you're persecuted for the gospel, God is not pleased. And he identifies with his messengers, with those people that have that precious, precious thing called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, who art thou, Lord? Notice that? One of the very first words out of his mouth. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. 
It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks or to go against my will. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So once again at this point, before he actually encountered Christ, he was a real threat to the messengers of the gospel, and God would not tolerate that. I don't know if you've ever been persecuted for standing for Christ, but I want to tell you the people who persecute you are not in a good place. In Acts 9, 13 through 16, And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. He's not very keen to have anything to do with this fellow. How much evil he hath done to thy saints of Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And and notice this next verse. I I hope we don't try to recruit doctors for Nova Scotia with this kind of verse. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. That's quite an amazing statement for God to make. And uh, yet he says he must suffer for my name's sake. And yes, he did. Sometimes... Suffering goes with the outreach of the gospel. Warfare spiritually involves wounds and a message for another day, but armor that a warrior must wear to enter battle. Sometimes those hurts and wounds can come from carnal believers who are consistently walking in the flesh. This can be very dangerous and very confusing for a novice in the faith because they just assume everybody's as excited about the gospel as they are. And soon they'll find that that's often not the case. This is a time for discernment 101. There's very little difference in the behavior of an unsaved person and a believer who is persistently out of fellowship with Christ. We are now in forgiveness 101 when we encounter such people. Sometimes the ways the Lord rescues us are surprising and novel, to say the least. In Acts 9, 23 through 25. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying awake was known unto of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night, and led him down by the wall in a basket. Can you picture the great Paul in a little basket being lowered over the back wall to get him out of there? But the the beautiful thing is this basket not only saved his life, but allowed him to preach another day. And after he goes through all the configurations of making it to Rome, he preached another two years, which was an amazing thing. Why the Romans didn't kill him the second week he was there Well, there's no explanation. It's just God undertook. And uh, once again, when it was time for Paul to go home, he went home, but not before, not one day before.
in Acts 12, 5 through 8. We could turn there, please. <clears throat> Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side. <laughs> Couldn't help but wonder how hard he did hit him. And uh, he smote him on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. Now, whether you refer to this angel as a guardian angel or not is... Uh, not a particularly important thing, but certainly that's the role that he, he plays, and he, he acts as a guardian angel. They had, had him chained, doubly chained, and, and ready for whatever fate that they wanted, and of course the angel comes into him as a guardian angel. I'll tell you, after many years on the mission field, and I've heard discussions about guardian angels, and there are and there aren't, and all this sort of thing, but I'll tell you, after you've been on the mission field for a while, you believe in them <laughs> because you, you see experiences. I remember one night we were just sitting down for dessert uh, for, with some friends. I think they had some homemade ice cream or something like that. And all of a sudden, we heard one word, snake. And it was Nancy Stottlemyre. And it was a huge snake. It was a six-foot-long uh, cobra. And uh, we went over there. I had the flashlight, which wasn't very effective. But another guy was shooting at it with a pellet gun, which just made it angry. It didn't hurt it a bit. And, uh, and another man had a homemade paddle. And uh, the, the snake was, and I can still picture him, he was right here. And all of a sudden, in front of him was a huge toad. Now, these, these are much bigger than the toads here in Canada. And, and the snake looked at me, and he looked at the toad, and he went for the toad, and that was the last thing he ever did <laughs> because the, the paddle came down hard on his head. And uh, I'll tell you, as I thought about that later, boy, if that wasn't a guardian angel, I don't know what it was because that toad uh, literally saved my life and was uh, certainly a blessing indeed. Sometimes those hurts and wounds can come from many, many different directions. And uh, the Lord is very, very involved in all of that. As it mentions here also, prayer is vital in going forth with the gospel. At Miriam's recent uh, camp, a little boy by the name of Adeneru, and uh, you Nigerian folks afterwards can tell me whether I said that correctly or not. But um, he, every time that they would have devotions, he would start coughing, spec just coughing, coughing, coughing. And he would act up during devotions. These were the only times. The rest of the day, he was a pretty nice little boy. 
but uh, Miriam is just finishing five weeks of vacation Bible school for girls, boys, and then a mixture of boys and girls at, on the fifth, the fifth week. And uh, I don't know exactly what his situation was, but uh, he certainly was a real disturbance to the, 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 the class. He had no idea what was going on. And uh, we started praying for him and uh, other friends of ours were praying for him as well. <clears throat> and the most recent uh, report we got from Miriam is something is really working. Well, I'll tell you what was working was prayer. God listens to those prayers and he responds to those prayers. And then the fifth week, that little boy was quoting scripture from memory. And uh, what, what a blessing, what a blessing he was. In Acts 12, 21 through 24, God removed the wall and the revival comes forth. If you would turn to that, please, 21 through 24. And upon a set day, Herod, arraigned in royal apparel, sat upon his throne and made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God. <laughs> Those are dangerous words and not of a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him. It was like David, but like Peter, but a little bit different. Smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. But notice what happens immediately when the wall is removed. But the word of God grew and multiplied. You remove the resistance. You remove the wall, in this case, specifically God, and uh, then the revival begins. The book of Acts has many more examples of miraculous rescues, defeat of darkness, and further revival. And now you think about it, and you know that the book of Acts ends with an incredible shipwreck, and that ship goes into a sandy beach and is stuck, and the back end is facing towards a wild storm. And to smash a huge ship like that <clears throat> into pieces, uh, it had to be a wild, wild storm. And there were 276 people on that boat. Now, some of them could swim, but some of them needed a life preserver, and God went into the business. And you know, you think about it, these pieces of wood are flying all around with these massive waves coming in behind them, and surely some of the people would be killed. But God said, you will not lose anyone. No one, 200, not 275, not 277, but 276 people will be rescued in a very miraculous way. But use your imagination for a moment. Can you see those waves coming in and hear them crushing this ship and breaking all these pieces of wood and just the right size, not too big, not too small, to get them into the beach and everyone, everyone, was, rescue, was rescued. If you've never been sh uh, saved through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no guarantee of tomorrow. Now, sitting here in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, you think, oh, we've heard that before. You know, we've heard that. You're just kind of trying to scare us. You know, if we were sitting in Afghanistan and Kabul this morning, if we were sitting in Haiti, people would really listen. You have no guarantee of tomorrow. And they're saying, amen, brother. I feel it. This, this Taliban group are coming in, 
and they're going to kill a lot of us. They are killers, and they are going to do exactly what they plan to do. And, uh, you know, if you, you made a statement like that, you'd have everybody's attention. They would be listening every, every breath, every word. Today is the day of salvation. And none of us have any guarantee, none of us whatsoever. The book of Acts comes down to, and I, I've got vacation Bible school on my mind because we've been praying for Miriam all through those five weeks. But uh, the first verse that you teach these little kids, you know what it is. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, shall not spend eternity in the horrors and the torment of hell. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have, what will they have? Everlasting life. How long is everlasting? Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I hope you believe that. My heart goes out to Christians who don't believe that the gift they've received is everlasting. Oh, it's all dependent on how I behave and how I... No, it isn't. It's all dependent upon how Jesus behaved and Jesus performed on the cross of Calvary, on Mount Calvary, when he shed his blood for your sins and paid the eternal price for that sin. That's what it's all about. What a freeing thing that is. Everlasting life. For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all about a perfect and eternal work of Christ at Calvary. You come to him in faith, and he'll come to you. You can be assured of that. And believers, the rules are changing. They're relaxing. It's time to get out of Jerusalem. Our mind was set on, I can protect and show love to other people by staying away from them. But that is not what is in the book of Acts, right from the beginning to the end. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. God bless to everybody going out on the streets this coming week. I hope God really blesses your outreach. And I hope it's a very, very precious time. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, <clears throat> we do pray for those who are going out on the streets. And uh, I pray, Father, that there will be teachable hearts, that you'll give them wisdom in what they share and what they don't share. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit would give them timing, timing to bring forth boldly the truth of the word of God. We thank you, Father, for this day and for your love and care for us now. Please bless, bless us as we go our ways and go out on the streets of Dartmouth and Halifax. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>